The following audio play is adapted from a story first published nearly a century ago. It was a product of its time and contained ethnic slurs directed at one character who is Asian. The producers do not condone racism and have removed the more offensive slurs for this production, but felt the story would suffer if every reference was altered. Therefore, we issue this warning. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. San Francisco in the Roaring Twenties is a city that hasn't quite shaken her old self. Scratch the surface of civilization and out pumps the hot, chaotic blood of her Barbary Coast days. Sometimes somebody needs help bringing order back to this chaos, and that's where I come in. I work for the Federated Detective Agency. Sixty-three Audio presents Adventures of the Federated Tech, created by Pete Lutz and Mark Slade, and dramatized from stories by Dashiell Hammett. This time, asking a simple question leads to three murders, and very nearly my own, followed by a hanging. It's Cherche La Femme in the truest and most deadly sense of the phrase. Tonight's story, The House in Turk Street, adapted for audio by Pete Lutz. I'd been told that the man for whom I was hunting lived in a certain block on Turk Street, but my informant hadn't been able to give me his house number. Thus, it came about that late one rainy afternoon, I was canvassing this certain block and reciting a myth that went like this. I'm from the law office of Wellington and Berkeley. One of our clients, an elderly lady, was thrown from the rear platform of a streetcar last week and severely injured. Among those who witnessed the accident was a young man whose name we don't know but we've been told he lives in this neighborhood. Then I describe the man I wanted and wind up, do you know of anyone who looks like that? All down one side of the block, the answers were, no. No, 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 no. I crossed the street and started to work the other side. First house. No, sir. The second. No, no. The third. Nah. The fourth. No. The fifth. At the fifth, no one came to the door in answer to my first ring. After a while, I rang again. I had just decided that no one was at home when the knob turned slowly and a little old woman opened the door. She was a very fragile little old woman with a piece of gray knitting in one hand and faded eyes that twinkled pleasantly behind gold-rimmed spectacles. She wore a stiffly starched apron over a black dress and there was white lace at her throat. Good evening. I hope you didn't mind waiting. I always have to peep out to see who's here before I open the door. An old woman's timidity. (laughs) Sorry to disturb you, but... Won't you come in, please? No, I just want a little information. I won't take up much of your time. I wish you would come in. I'm sure my tea is getting cold. She took my damp hat and coat, and I followed her down a narrow hall to a dim room. Thomas! Thomas! We have a visitor. Oh? A man got up as we entered. He was old, too, and stout, with a thin white beard that fell upon a white vest that was as stiffly starched as the woman's apron. Thomas, this is Mr. Tracy, I told them, because that was the name I had given the other residents of the block. But I came as near to blushing as I said it, as I have in 15 years. These folks weren't made to be lied to. Uh, Of course, my name. You've met my wife, Amelia. Sit down, Mr. Tracy, and make yourself comfortable. I'll pour you some tea. What do you take in it? 
had to drink that tea with him and eat some little spiced cookies before I could get them to listen to a question. Then Mrs. Quar made little sympathetic clicking sounds with her tongue and teeth while I told about the elderly lady who'd fallen off a streetcar. The old man rumbled in his beard that it was a damned shame and gave me a fat and oily cigar. I had to assure them that the fictitious elderly lady was being taken care of and was coming along nicely. I was afraid they were going to insist upon being taken to see her. Finally, I got away from the accident itself and described the man I wanted. Thomas, isn't that the young man who lives in the house with the railing? The one who always looks so worried. Hmm, uh, but my dear, hasn't he got dark hair? Oh, yes, yes. Thomas is so observant. I had forgotten, but the young man I spoke of does have dark hair, so he couldn't be the one who saw the accident at all. The old man suggested a candidate, but he was weighed and discarded. The same thing happened to a few others. They chattered on. But don't you think, Thomas? Uh, yes, my dear, but... Of course you're right, Thomas, but... I realized that here were two old folks enjoying a chance contact with the world they dropped out of. Darkness settled. A lamp was switched on. I slumped comfortably down in my chair, letting them run on, putting in a word or two whenever they turned to me. I didn't expect to get any information here, but I was comfortable. Time enough to go out into the drizzle when I'd finished my cigar. But then, something cold touched the nape of my neck. Stand up. I didn't stand up. I couldn't. I was paralyzed. I sat and blinked at the quars. There was nothing cold at the back of my neck. A harsh voice couldn't have ordered me to stand up. It wasn't possible. Mrs. Quar still sat primly upright in her chair. Her eyes still twinkled with friendliness behind her glasses. Her hands were still motionless in her lap. The old man still stroked his beard and let cigar smoke drift unhurriedly from his nostrils. Nothing had happened. I had just dozed off. Get up! The cold thing against my neck jabbed deep into the flesh. I stood up. Frisk him! Mr. Quar carefully laid his cigar down, came over to me, and ran his hands over my body. Satisfied that I was unarmed, he emptied my pockets, dropping the contents on the little table next to me. Thomas, you've overlooked that little watch pocket in the trousers. Oh, thank you, my dear. No, no, there's nothing there. That's all. Turn around, you. I turned around and faced a tall, gaunt, raw-boned man of about my age, which is 35. He had an ugly face, hollow-cheeked, bony, and spattered with big, pale freckles. His eyes were of a watery blue, and his nose and chin stuck out abruptly. Know me? No. You're a liar. I make it a point never to argue with a man holding a gun on me. Yeah? You're gonna know me pretty well before I'm through with you. You're gonna... Hook? Hook, come here. Ah, what do you want? He's here. Oh, all right. Keep this joker safe. Very well. From somewhere among his whiskers, his coat, and a stiff white vest, the old man brought out a big black revolver, which he handled with no signs of either weakness or unfamiliarity. The ugly man swept up the things that had been taken from my pockets and carried them through the curtained doorway from which the young woman's voice had come. Mrs. Quar smiled brightly up at me. Do sit down, Mr. Tracy. I sat. Then I heard a new voice from the next room, a drawling baritone voice whose accent was unmistakably British. Cultured British. What's up, Hawk? Plenty's up, I'm telling you. They're on to us. 
I started out a while ago, and as soon as I got to the street, I seen a man I knowed on the other side. He was pointed out to me in Philly five, uh, six years ago. I don't know his name, but I remembered his mug. He's a Federated Detective Agency man. I came back in right away, and me and Elvira watched him out the window. He went to every house on the other side of the street, asking questions or something. Then he came over and started to give this side a whirl. And after a while, he rings the bell. I tell the old woman and her husband to get him in. Stall him along and see what he says for himself. He's got a song and dance about a guy what's seen an old woman bumped by a streetcar. But that's the bunk. He's gunning for us. There ain't nothing else to it. You shouldn't have shown yourself to him. The others could have taken care of him. Ah, what's the diff? Chances is he knows us all anyways. But supposing he didn't, what diff does it make? It may make a deal of difference. It was stupid. Stupid, huh? You're always bellyaching about other people being stupid. Well, to hell with you, I say. If you don't like my style, to hell with you. Who does all the work? Who's the guy what swings all the jobs, huh? We're... Oh, look, for God's sake, don't make that speech again. I've listened to it until I know it by heart. I say, Hook, you're correct about his being a detective. Here's an identification card among his things. Mr. and Mrs. Quar were listening to the conversation in the next room with as much interest as I. But Thomas Quar's eyes never left me, and his fat fingers never relaxed about the gun in his lap. His wife sipped tea with her head cocked on one side in the listening attitude of a bird. Except for the weapon in the old man's lap, there wasn't a thing to persuade the eye that melodrama was in the room. The Quars were, in every other detail, still the pleasant old couple who had given me tea and expressed sympathy for the elderly lady who had been injured. Well, what's to be done? What's our play? It's easy to answer. We're gonna knock this sleuth off first thing. And put our necks in the noose? As if they ain't there if we don't. You don't think this guy ain't after us for the L.A. job, do ya? You're an ass, Hook, and a quite hopeless one. Suppose this chap is interested in the Los Angeles affair, as is probable. What then? He is a federated operative. Is it likely that his organization doesn't know where he is? Don't you think they know he was coming up here? And don't they know as much about us, chances are, as he does? There's no use killing him. That would only make matters worse. The thing to do is to tie him up and leave him here. His associates will hardly come looking for him until tomorrow. That will give us all night to manage our disappearance. My gratitude went out to the British voice. Somebody was in my favor, at least to the extent of letting me live. I hadn't been feeling very cheerful these last few minutes. Somehow the fact that I couldn't see these people who were deciding whether I was to live or die made my plight seem all the more desperate. I felt better now, though far from jolly. I had confidence in the drawling British voice. It was the voice of a man who habitually carries his Let point. Let me tell you something, brother. That guy's gonna be knocked off. That's flat. I'm taking no chances. You can jaw all you want about it, but I'm looking out for my own neck, and it'll be a lot safer with that guy where he can't talk. Oh, Hook, be reasonable. 
There's no use reasoning with you, Hook. You've the instincts and intellect of a troglodyte. There is only one language that you understand, and I'm going to talk that language to you, my son. If you are tempted to do anything silly between now and the time of our departure, just say this to yourself two or three times. If he dies, I die. If he dies, I die. Say it as if it were out of the Bible, because it's that true. There followed a long space of tense silence. Beyond the curtained doorway, I knew two men were matching glances in a battle of wills, which might any instant become a physical struggle, and my chances of living were tied up in that battle. When, at last, a voice cut the silence, I jumped as if a gun had been fired. It was the British voice, confidently victorious, and I breathed again. We'll get the old people away first. You take charge of our guest, Hook. Tie him up neatly. But remember, no foolishness. Don't waste time questioning him. He'll lie. Tie him up while I get the bonds and we'll be gone in less than half an hour. Uh, folks, he wants you. Oh, how nice. Uh, that's fine. All right, you. We have to do this Sit still while I get these ropes around you. Hook pulled loose the plush ropes that were around the window curtains and used them to secure me to the chair, arms, feet, and torso, and then to top it off, he gagged me with the corner of an overstuffed cushion. There. How do you like that, tubby? Eh? <laughs> he was unnecessarily rough with me throughout, but I was a lamb. He wanted an excuse for drilling me, and I wanted above all else that he should have no excuse. Ha! There. Well, you ain't going nowhere anytime soon. Nah, gumshoe, if I had my way, you'd... What's that? Hmm, yeah. That's himself taking the choirs to the depot. <laughs> He'll be gone for a few. Uh, Elvira! What? Come here. I'd better not. He wouldn't... Damn him! Come here! She came into the room and into the circle of light from the tall lamp. A girl in her early 20s, slender and lithe and dressed for the street, except she carried her hat in her hand. A white face beneath a bobbed mass of flame-colored hair. Smoke-gray eyes that were too far apart for trustworthiness, though not for beauty, laughed at me. And then her red mouth laughed at me, exposing the edges of little sharp animal teeth. She was beautiful, as beautiful as the devil and twice as dangerous. She laughed at me, a fat man all trussed up with a red plush rope and with the corner of a green cushion in my mouth, and she turned to the ugly man. Uh, what do you want? What say we shake him? There's a hundred thousand he's holding. A third of it's mine. You don't think I'm going to take a Mickey Finn on that, do you? Course not. Supposing we get the hundred grand. How? Leave it to me, kid. Leave it to me. If I swing it. Will you go with me? You know I'll be good to you. <laughs> You're hooping right you'll be good to me. But listen, Hook, we couldn't get away with it. Not unless you get him. I know him. I'm not running away with anything that belongs to him unless he is fixed so that he can't come after it. I'll do it. I'll get him. Do you mean it, kid? If I get him, you'll go with me? Oh, it's a bet. 
Hook's ugly face grew warm and red and utterly happy, and he took a deep breath and straightened his shoulders. In his place, I might have believed her myself. All of us have fallen for that sort of thing at one time or another, but sitting tied up on the sidelines, I knew that he'd have been better off playing with a gallon of nitro than with this baby. She was dangerous. I foresaw a rough time ahead for friend Hook. This is the late... This really is too much. I can't leave for a moment without having things done all wrong. Now, just what got into you, Elvira, that you must go in and exhibit yourself to our detective friend? <sighs> Don't be altogether yellow. Your precious neck can get along all right without so much guarding. The door curtains parted and I twisted my head as far as I could get it for a first look at this man who was responsible for my still being alive. I saw a short man, hatted and coated and dressed for the street and carrying a tan traveling bag in one hand. Then his face came into the circle of light and I saw that it was a short, fat Chinese, immaculately clothed in garments that were as British as his accent. And now I understood the full sting of the girl's jibe. It isn't a matter of color, Elvira. It is simply a matter of ordinary wisdom. Regardless of the inscrutable appearance of his face and the emotionless drawl of his voice, I knew that he was as surely under the girl's sway as the ugly man, or he wouldn't have let her taunt bring him into the room. But I doubted that she'd find this anglicized Asian as easily handled as Hook. There was no particular need for this chap to have seen any of us. It's quite possible that he didn't know any of us, even by description. This showing ourselves to him is the most errant sort of nonsense. Ah, hell, Ty! What's the diff? I'll knock him off, and that takes care of that. There will be no killing, or there will be a lot of killing. You don't mistake my meaning, do you, Hook? Uh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Behind the cushion that was choking me, I thanked the Chinese man again. Then this red-haired she-devil put her spoon in the dish. <laughs> Hook's always offering to do things that he has no intention of doing. <laughs> huh? I'll show you. Ty, you're done. I'm sick and tired of all this dog you put on acting like you was a king or something. I've took all the lip I'm gonna take from a Chinaman. I'm gonna... Ty looked up at Hook with eyes that were as hard and black and inhuman as two pieces of coal. Hook's lips twitched and he flinched away a little. <laughs> Ty had twisted his body to face Hook even as he went hurtling across the room and a gun was in his hand before he went down and he was speaking before his legs had settled on the floor. Later, we'll settle this thing that is between us. Just now, you will drop your pistol and stand very still while I get up. I looked from Hook to Ty and then to the girl. Hook stood rigidly still while Ty got to his feet. The girl still regarded Hook with contempt, but with no disappointment. Then I made a discovery. Something had changed in the room near her. If I hadn't a dislike for murder, and if I didn't think that you will perhaps be of some value to Elvira... I shut my eyes and tried to picture that part of the room, 
as it had been before the two men had clashed. Opening my eyes suddenly, I had the answer. On the table beside the girl had been a book and some magazines. They were gone now. Not two feet from the girl was the tan bag that Ty had carried into the room. The girl had made a switch during the kerfuffle. Have you been putting foolish ideas in his head? <laughs> oh, oh, nobody could put any kind into it. The tan bag had probably held those bonds Hook had mentioned earlier. It now held the book and magazines. But where had she stashed the bonds? Beside the table was a couch with a wide red cover that went all the way to the floor. I looked from the couch to the girl. She was watching me, and her eyes twinkled. So that's where they were. Perhaps you're right. Here, I'll inspect Hook's handiwork with these ropes. Yes, they seem satisfactory. Now, here's your revolver, Hook. Take it, and do try to be sensible. There's a good fellow. We may as well go now. The old man and his wife will do as they're told. They are on their way to a city that we needn't mention in front of our friend here to wait for us and their share of the bonds. <laughs> Needless to say, they will wait a long while. They are out of it now. But between ourselves, there must be no more treachery. If we are to get clear, we must help each other. According to the best dramatic rules, these folks should have made sarcastic speeches to me before they left, but they didn't. They went out of the room without so much as a farewell look in my direction. But then... Shh! Don't make a sound, old boy. Uh, there. That should be sufficient for you to escape your bonds. Hawk will be back. The Chinese had cut the rope around my right arm, partially loose, and departed with that warning. And he had left a revolver on the floor, three feet in front of me. I didn't know how long I was going to be alone, so I quickly struggled to free myself the rest of the way in order to grab that gun and use it, if necessary, against the ugly man. Just as the street door opened again, I got my right arm completely free, plucked the cushion from my mouth, and threw myself, chair and all, to the floor, breaking the fall with my free arm. I went down on my face with the heavy chair atop me, all doubled up any which way. But my right arm was free of the tangle, and my right hand grasped the gun. I twisted and struggled to face the curtain door. Footsteps were coming quickly down the hallway. The dim light hit upon a man hurrying into the room, a glint of metal in his hand. Ah! Hook bent over double, clutching his belly with both hands and slid to the floor. That was that, but it wasn't all. I finally struggled out of the ropes and got to my feet, concerned with what was going to happen next. The girl had switched out the bonds, hiding them under the couch, and she would doubtless come back for them soon. Either that or, because Hook was now dead, she'd tell Ty that the switch had been Hook's idea and Ty would come back for them with Elvira in tow. I knew that if I wanted to stay alive, I had to make these bonds my meal ticket. I was armed now and Ty knew it, but a hundred thousand smacks was enough to bring them back. I felt around under the couch and brought out four thick bundles of Liberty Bonds done up with heavy rubber bands. I tucked them under one arm and went over to the man who was dying near the door. His gun was under one of his legs. I pulled it out and entered the darkened hallway to wait for Ty and Elvira to return. As I crouched in the shadows, I examined my weapons. I'd fired one shot, so I should have 11 remaining, but my searching fingers found only one shell in the one the Chinese had left me and none in hooks. Ty had taken no chances. 
Unarmed as I was, it was certain death to wait for them here, so I went looking around the house for a place to hide the bonds. Upstairs in a darkened bedroom, I pulled the cover off one of the pillows and stuffed the bonds inside. Downstairs, the street door had opened and closed, and I still had the loot in my hands. I briefly considered tossing the pillowcase out of a window that was already open, but I was afraid it'd make a racket when it hit the ground. I looked out the window and got a better idea. The house next door was close enough for me to chuck the bundle up and over, so that's what I did. It disappeared over the edge of the roof and crackled softly on the tin. I quickly discarded the idea of following the pillowcase out the window. I'm no Douglas Fairbanks, and dangling in space from the edge of a roof doesn't appeal to me. I preferred to face Ty and the redhead. I switched on all the lights in the room, sat on the bed, and lighted a cigarette. I got him, Ty. Don't move, you. Who's moving? Ah, good work, my dear. You. What did Hook do with the bonds? <laughs> What's so funny, old boy? Why don't you ask the girl? <clears throat> Haven't you rapped to it yet that they were fixing up to ditch you, Ty? Oh, you dirty liar! I Stop! Elvira, stand over there. So, that's how it is, eh? Now, that's how it is. Now, Mr. Detective... Where did they put the bonds? Oh, oh, here's the truth of it, Ty. So help me God. I switched the stuff myself. Hook wasn't in it. I was going to run out on both of you. I stuck them under the couch downstairs, but they're not there now. That's the God's truth. Ty was eager to believe her, and her words had the ring of truth to them. And I knew that, in love with her as he was, he'd more readily forgive her treachery with the bonds if he thought she'd been acting alone. So I made haste to stir things up. Part of that is right enough. She did stick the bonds under the couch but Hook was in on it. They fixed it up between them while you were out at the depot. He was to pick a fight with you, and during the argument, she was to make the switch, and that's exactly what she did. Oh, you no-good lying rat. I'll empty this gun into your lying fat carcass for saying that. Stand up, you... Hey! I'll take your guns, Elvira. Thank you. There was a deadliness in his voice that made her surrender them without a word. He removed his automatic from the girl's ribs and asked me again where the bonds were. I grinned at him. I'm not with you, Ty. I'm against you. I dislike violence, and I believe you are a sensible person. Let us traffic, my friend. You name it. Gladly. As a basis for our bargaining, we will stipulate that you have hidden the bonds where they cannot be found by anyone else, and that I have you completely in my power, as the penny dreadfuls used to put it. Reasonable enough. Go on. The situation, then, is what gamblers call a standoff. Neither of us has the advantage. As a detective, you want us, but we have you. As thieves, we want the bonds, but you have them. I offer you the girl in exchange for the bonds, and that seems to me to be an equitable offer. It will give me the bonds and a chance to get away. It will give you no small degree of success in your task as a detective. Hook is dead. You will have the girl. All that remains is to find me and the bonds again. By no means a hopeless task. You will have turned defeat into more than half a victory, with an excellent chance to make it a complete one. How do I know that you'll give me the girl? Naturally, there can be no guarantee. But, knowing that she planned to desert me for the swine who lies dead below... You can't imagine that my feelings for her are the most friendly. Two, if I take her with me, she'll want to share in the loot. All right, this is the way it looks to me. You aren't a killer. I'll come through alive no matter what happens, so why should I swap? You and the girl will be easier to find than the bonds, 
and they're the most important part of the job anyway. I'll hold on to them and take my chances of finding you folks again. Yes, I'm playing it safe. And I meant it, for the time being at least. Ty smiled at this, and it wasn't a pleasant smile. There was something in it that made you want to shudder. No, I'm not a killer. <laughs> but I am other things, perhaps, of which you haven't thought. But this talking is of no purpose. Elvira? Yes, Ty? You will find sheets in one of the bureau drawers. Tear one or two of them into strips strong enough to tie up our friend here. Wait, what was that? What was what? Some movement in the hall. The room we were in had two doors, one leading out to the hall, the other into another bedroom. It was through the hall door that the faint sound had come. When we heard it again, it was closer. Ty turned himself toward the sound, and his gun, poised like a live thing in his fat hand, was all the warning we needed to make no noise. The gun in Ty's hand seemed to quiver with eagerness, but then, out through the other door, the one that gave to the next room, popped Mrs. Quar. Drop your gun, you nasty heathen. And through the hall door came Mr. Quar. Both carried enormous matching black revolvers. Ty dropped his pistol before he turned to face the old woman, and he held his hands up high, all of which was very wise. I looked at the old woman again and saw a little of the friendly, fragile one who had poured tea and chatted about the neighbors. This was a witch, if there ever was one, a witch of the blackest, most malignant sort. Her little faded eyes were sharp with ferocity, her withered lips were taut in a wolfish snarl, and her thin body fairly quivered with hate. I knew it! I told Tom as soon as we got far enough away to think things over. I knew it was a frame-up! I knew this supposed detective was a pal of yours. I knew it was just a scheme to beat Thomas and me out of our shares. Well, I'll show you, you disgusting foreigner. And the rest of you, too. I'll show the whole caboodle of you. Where are them bonds? Where are they? Our stout friend can tell you, perhaps. I was about to extract the information from him when you so, uh, dramatically arrived. Thomas, for goodness sake, don't stand there dreaming. Tie up this Chinaman. I don't trust him an inch, and I won't feel easy till he's tied up. Tie him up, and then we'll see what's to be done. I got up from my seat on the side of the bed and moved cautiously to a spot that I thought would be out of the line of fire if the thing I expected to happen happened. The Chinese are a thorough people. If one of them carries a gun at all, he usually carries two or three more. I remember picking one up in Oakland during the last Tong War, who had five on him, one under each armpit, one on each hip, and one in his waistband. Now, one gun had been taken from Ty, and if they tried to truss him up without frisking him, there was likely to be fireworks. So I moved off to one side. Old Mr. Quar went up to the Chinese to carry out his wife's orders and bungled the job perfectly. He put his bulk between Ty and the old woman's revolver. Ty's hands moved. An automatic was in each. Once more, Ty ran through to racial form. When a Chinese shoots, he keeps on shooting until his gun is empty. When I yanked him over backward by his fat throat and slammed him to the floor, his guns were still barking hot metal, and they clicked empty as I got a knee on one of his arms. I didn't take any chances. I worked his throat until his eyes and tongue told me that he was out of things for a while. Then I looked around. Thomas Quar was huddled against the bed, plainly dead, with three round holes in his starched white vest, holes that were brown from the closeness of the guns that had put them there. 
Across the room, Mrs. Quar lay on her back. Her clothes had somehow settled in place around her fragile body, and death had once more given her the gentle, friendly look she had worn when I first saw her. One thin hand was on her bosom, covering, I found later, the two bullet holes that were there. The red-haired girl, Elvira, was gone. Presently, Ty stirred, and after taking another gun from his clothes, I helped him sit up. He stroked his bruised throat with one fat hand and looked coolly around the room. So, this is how it came out? Uh-huh. Where's Elvira? Got away, for the time being. Hmm. Well, you can call it a decidedly successful operation. The claws and hook dead, the bonds and eye in your hands. Not so bad, but will you do me a favor? If I may. Tell me what the hell this is all about. All about? Exactly. From what you people have let me over here, I gather that you pulled some sort of job in Los Angeles that netted you $100,000 worth of Liberty Bonds, but I can't remember any recent job of that size down there. Why, that's preposterous. Preposterous. Of course you knew all about it. I do not. I was trying to find a young fellow named Fisher who left his Tacoma home in anger a week or two ago. His father wants him found on the quiet so that he can come down and try to talk him into going home again. I was told that I might find Fisher in this block of Turk Street and... But that's where I came in. I'll tell you the rest of that conversation in a little while. Turk Street was quite a lovely place when I came free into it after my evening in that house. A few days later, I was going over my report with the old man, the agency's branch manager. So, I understand there was a messenger boy murdered in the course of this bond theft? Yep, he was 20. He had apparently disappeared while on his way from his employers, an L.A. stock and bond house, and the bank with the Liberty Bonds in his care. That same night, the young man and a slender girl with red-bobbed hair had registered at a hotel in Fresno under the name J.M. Riordan and wife. Next morning, the boy was found murdered. The girl was gone. The bonds were gone. Yes. And what did you discover about this mob of thieves you encountered on Turk Street? I've been doing some digging, and I think I've pieced together most of the story. The Chinese, whose full name was Tai Chun Tao, was the brains. Their scheme had been a variation of the old reliable badger game. Tai selected the victims, and he must have been a good judge of humans because he never picked a bloomer, it seems. These marks would be some youth who was messenger or runner for a banker or broker, one who carried either cash or negotiable securities in large quantities around the city. And I imagine in the course of this badger game, the young woman would use her charms on the young man? Wouldn't have been very hard for this Elvira dame. Yes, and then she'd lead him gently around to running away with her and uh, whatever he could filch in the way of his employer's bonds or currency. Right. Wherever they spent the first night of their flight, Hook would appear, foaming at the mouth and loaded for bear. The girl would plead and tear her hair and so forth, trying to keep Hook in his role of irate husband from butchering the youth. Finally, she'd succeed, and in the end, the youth would find himself without either the girl or the fruits of his thievery. Well, how do you think this young man ended up murdered then in Fresno? Considering that most surrendered to the police and two had apparently committed suicide, we figured this Los Angeles lad was built of tougher stuff than the others. He'd put up a fight and Hook had had to kill him. That's a shame. Oh, what a tangled web we weave, etc. True enough. And you can measure the girl's skill in her end of the game by the fact that not one of the half-dozen youths who had been trimmed had said the least thing to implicate her 
and some of them had gone to great trouble to keep her out of it. So, uh, this house you stumbled upon on Turk Street was the mob's retreat? I don't recall any local activity involving the Badger game you described. No, they didn't pull any jobs in San Francisco. That way they could keep the hideout safe. Hook and the girl were supposed by the neighbors to be the Quora's son and daughter, and Ty was the Chinese cook. Yes, very clever. And the respectable appearance of the Quars came in handy whenever there were securities to be disposed of. So to wrap up this caper, we threw out the widest and finest mesh dragnets for the red-haired girl, and we turned up girls with bobbed red hair by the scores, but the girl Elvira was not among them. I promised myself that someday... <sighs> As for Ty, well, he refused to believe my story about innocently looking for a young man on behalf of his father. He went to the gallows, thinking me a liar. been listening to The House in Turk Street, Episode 4 of Season 2 of Adventures of the Federated Tech. Our cast consisted of the following players. Pete Lutz as the Tech, Paul Arbisi as Mr. Quar, Jerry Elif as Mrs. Quar, Mark Kalita as Hook, Rhiannon McAfee as Elvira, Jeff Moon as Ty, and Joe Stofko as the Old Man, with additional voices by Daniel French. The theme and some incidental music was composed and performed by Dr. Ross Bernhardt. The House in Turk Street was written by Dashiell Hammett and was published in the April 15, 1924 issue of Black Mask Magazine. Mixing and mastering were performed by Daniel French of Fishbonia Sound Design. This program was adapted by and produced under the supervision of Pete Lutz. This is Darren Rockold speaking. Please join us next time when the Federated Tech says... A sweet-natured poet gets more than he bargains for when he falls for a beautiful girl, theft hiding from the law, and murder. Be with us for our next episode, The Girl with the Silver Eyes, part one of a special two-episode adventure, coming soon from 63 Audio. Yeah, 63 Audio.